Hey, good morning, everybody. Ah, it's good to be with you here this Easter Sunday. It's good to be outside together. Um, it is super windy, a little bit chilly. Um, the wind means that my strategy here, because if you don't know me well, I'm, I'm a manuscriptor. I'm somebody who like writes everything that they say because I want to be careful that I don't say something I didn't mean to. Are you like that? Maybe you're like that when you speak in front of people. But all that to say that I think we're just going to like let pages go to the wind here as we go. So like, don't don't sweat it. I'll pick them up later. But they're just going to we'll see. We could even lay bets on like whether one gets to the trampoline or not. But nonetheless. It is Easter Sunday, and there, there are two goals for our teaching time here today. Oh, also, Sean is waving his hand in the back. If you uh, are a young person or have a young person that would like to go with Sean, uh, you can meet up with him there in the back. So as I was saying, as it is Easter Sunday, there are kind of two goals for our teaching time today. And the first of those goals is to be maybe a little bit more brief than usual as we're out here in the wind and the cold. And the second goal, the more important goal, of course, is to talk about the thing that we're here to celebrate this morning, which is the actual, historical, factual, tangible, and also utterly miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. For 2,000 years now, Christians have been... We're going we're gonna to figure this out with these pages here. Or we won't. Maybe we'll just see what happens. But anyways, as I was saying, for 2,000 years now, Christians have been marking this day, this moment... Whew, when the seemingly impossible truly became possible. That's the thing about Easter. We've marked this as the moment when the shadow that kind of hangs over all of life and all of time on this planet, which is the shadow of death, right? When that shadow is forever lifted. And it's not that life doesn't appear to end, right? It has, it will continue to, death has happened, it's going to continue to happen. But because of what Jesus has done, we can now have confidence, true confidence, that death is not the end of anybody's story. That's the thing about Easter. It's the day when we see for sure that there's something more. And as we begin, I want to just hang on that for a minute or two, that we can have confidence, that word confidence. This year, oh boy, this is going to be a real struggle, I'm finding out. This year, say what? Ooh. Have confidence. Have con- oh, good. Segways. I like how that works. We're just going to be real informal this morning, which is great. This year we're talking a lot about uncertainty, right? That's been the theme of our, of our teaching for the year at Revolution. In particular, we're talking about the ways that our fear of the unknown can lead us to chase this, this kind of knowledge that we can hold in our hands and then set down, right? So we don't have to worry about it anymore. That's what we're tempted towards, is that certainty that allows us to stop having to think about things. And I think it's an obvious temptation that we face, and it's a logical thing to want, to feel about eternity, to feel about God, the the same way that we feel about sitting down in a chair like you're doing right now, or or like you're going to feel when you turn the key in the ignition of your car before you head home. We don't want to have to think all the time, or worry all the time. But the thing is, of course, that God is not a chair and God is not a car or any other sort of thing that we think we can understand. That God is the biggest, he's the most overwhelming, the most complex thing that there is. 
So this year at Revolution, we're questioning ourselves and we're questioning our own desires about him. Maybe we're not intended to put our thoughts about God down. Maybe we're not intended to put our thoughts about God down and forget about them. Maybe we're not supposed to be people who live with certainty, even if we want it. Because maybe, just maybe, what we're built for isn't control, but confidence. What if what God is really inviting us into isn't a new set of beliefs that we can study like a book and then wield like a club, but a relationship where we can learn and we can grow over time? What if faith in God isn't like a a switch that you flip, but this new light by which you can not only see, but where you can be seen yourself? That, I think, is how I would describe confidence like we're talking about here this year. And that, I also think, is what happens on on Easter morning. In the light of Jesus' resurrection, what changes about how we see death? What changes about how we see God? What changes about how we see ourselves? This morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about an illustration that Jesus uses to describe our living connection to God. And then I'm going to tell a funny story. So there's two things, metaphor and then funny story. But I'm going to start with the illustration. And that comes from John's gospel. Jesus says this to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Well, every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine and neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands... You will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you, and so that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as if I, as I have loved you. So, it's page two down. So since we're outside today, and we can't use slides behind me or something to keep these words in front of us. We're going to do a quick little memory check based on that long passage I just read to you to help you stay focused. So I'm going to ask a series of questions to kind of frame things up. The first question is, who is the gardener in that metaphor? Somebody has to actually say. The gardener in the metaphor. You can cheat by looking at the handout that you've got too. I think the verses are on there. The gardener is? God. Yes, exactly. And who is the vine in the metaphor? Jesus is the, meta- is the vine. And what are we? Branches. Branches. Good, good, good. Now the harder question, right? What is our job? 
Huh? Abide. To abide or to remain in, that, in the translation we're looking at, right? To remain. What do you think that means? How does a branch remain in a vine? In this illustration, the secret to remaining that we hear over and over again in that passage is love. The passage says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. So the question is, how is love of all things, the secret to remaining. I don't know about you, but, but when I think about love, I tend to think of how relationships start. Love in the way that we typically talk about it in our lives is the force of attraction that draws us into a connection with somebody else. We fall in love with people or with a pet or with a book or with a new hobby. Love is a connector. It's commitment, I think, that we often talk about as what keeps something going, that keeps a bond going. But that's not the way that Jesus describes it here. In fact, I would argue that Jesus reverses that way of thinking here. It's commitment which leads to the connection and love that keeps the connection open. We're outside this morning, and so we have plenty of real-life examples of what Jesus is talking about all around us, right? Take this tree or these bushes over here or those flowers that are up there by the, by the driveway. The gardener around here is Fred, I think, right? Still doing most of the gardening. So Fred is somebody who takes his job as a gardener pretty seriously, as seriously as I think any retired pastor is supposed to take the job of gardening. It feels appropriate symbolically for a retired pastor. And the gardener's job here, Fred's job here at this house is to manage growth. They introduce, the gardener introduces plants to new soil, and then as the plant grows, they care for it and they prune it so that its growth is healthy. They do this, and I'm not trying to be trite here, I think Fred would say this himself, they do this for love, for love. For the love of the garden, for the love of the fruit, for the love of just being able to walk outside and see flowers. But if the gardener is the one managing the growth of the plants, then what is the secret to any particular branch's fruitfulness? What is it exactly that the gardener is looking for and trying to foster in that plant? I think it's the branch's connection to the vine, to the stem, or to the soil. And in this metaphor, as you all said, we are the branches, right? And the vine is, somebody remembers, Jesus, right? Ugh. I feel like I'm fanning nothing. And what has Jesus done here? Jesus says this, which is where I want to center for a few minutes here. He says, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I think we sometimes get this a bit backwards, but I think we do it for honest reasons. I think what we want to see, when I think about this parable, what I want to see is God as the vine. I want to see myself as the branch, and I want to see Jesus as the bridge that I cross 
to get back to where to get back to where my life comes from. And I think we do this. I think I do this because I know that God is really important. And I think we also do it because metaphors like this that parse out God and Jesus, although they are also one, tend to kind of break our brains a little bit when we think about them. But if we take this metaphor as a metaphor and approach it not with the desire for the certainty that we might normally approach it with, but with the desire for confidence, here's what I think we have an opportunity to see. There are three things. The first is this. It is Jesus through whom we have life and find flourishing. It's Jesus through whom we find life and find flourishing. Specifically, it's Jesus' love which maintains his connection to us and our connection with him. Jesus loves us. He seeks our good. He seeks our benefit at great cost to himself. He models for us that kind of other-centeredness and generosity. And And because the abundance of his affection pours into us, if we're open to him, we overflow with that same affection into the lives of others. In a nutshell, I think this is what Christian life and faith is all about. Giving to others, not out of a lack or out of a sense of martyrdom, which is how we sometimes construct it, but instead giving to others out of abundance. And sure, this includes things like money sometimes if we have, if we have more than we need, or it can include material things if we have a spare room in our house or a spare seat in our car or spare time in our day. But I think it's also about our own affection or our own capacity for love. I think we humans, and again, I'm speaking of myself, maybe first and foremost, I think we're hungry and frightened creatures by nature. I think our fear of lack makes us stingy. And when we experience something like abundance, I I think we tend to clutch it and to hoard it, dreading that it's going to be taken away from us eventually. But I think what we can see in all of this is that Jesus says over and over again in his ministry that there is no end, there's no limit to his affection for us. And if we can just believe in the depths of that affection for us, our hunger for being loved will be satisfied. And then we will be able to pour out our own affection to other people freely. As a performer, which I, which I am, I really struggle with this. It's easy for me to get so caught up in trying to earn the affection of other people that I become pretty miserly with my affection that I give to others. I don't know if any of you are like that. But Jesus is right here with me. He's connected to me and trying to answer my insecurity, my worry that I'm not going to be able to, to have the affection that I want. He's going to answer that with abundance. Jesus isn't just some bridge that I cross, is what I'm trying to say. He's not some bridge that I cross as I walk over to get to God's love. Jesus is actually God's love. And he's here, wrapping his arms around me so that I will be full. And then from this place of fullness, I'll be able to love others. I think that's thing number one. It's Jesus through whom we have life and find flourishing. Thing number two is the thing in the metaphor that's perhaps most shocking, and it comes in verse three there, which says this, you are already clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. 
You're already clean. And the reason in this metaphor is because you're already connected. The branch here doesn't have to do anything at all to be connected to the vine. It just is. It just is. The branch's job, once again, is what, Molly? To abide. To remain. So what does that mean? Well, I think it means that Jesus is already committed to us. And it's up to us whether or not we want to have confidence in his commitment. We've wandered a little bit from Easter as our topic, and this is the moment where we're going to kind of start to turn back. Just a few days ago, we observed Good Friday on the day, or the day on which Jesus was crucified, right, by the Romans and by his own people. And you may have been thinking about the last few weeks, you may have run into like a, an illustration or something, you know, maybe you went to a Good Friday service and you heard this already, but I'm going to start here and just ask, it's strange, right, that we call this day good. Somebody was sharing like a joke with me the other day, there was like a, a meme where they were imagining a conversation between Jesus and somebody, and somebody's like, oh, Jesus, like, this is the great, like, you know, this is the day that you were crucified. This is an important day in our calendar. We call it Bad Friday. Because it's weird that we call this Good Friday, right? So what's so good about it? The reason we call it this, right, is because it's on this day, in this moment, that Jesus reaches all the way down into the loneliest and the most awful places that we can ever find ourselves, ever, in order to say to us, even here, in this darkest place, I am with you. There's this famous moment in the book Night, which was written by a Holocaust survivor named Elie Wiesel, about his experiences as a child in a concentration camp. And he describes this moment you may have read about in school or be familiar with, when, when it's the moment when he abandons his faith in God. He remembers that a young Jewish boy is executed at the gallows. And as he's there witnessing this execution, another man behind him says, where is God? And when the man asks that, this voice inside Vizel concedes he's there. For Vizel, the boy's death is this ultimate sign of God's powerlessness, God's inability to stop something terrible from happening. And for him, that's the end of his faith. In another book written by theologian Jürgen Moltmann, who was himself a young Nazi during World War II, and who after learning about the horrors of Auschwitz surrendered to British forces and spent the end of the war as a POW, Moltmann writes about the ways that we tend to walk away from our faith. And he says that many people from the outside will ask the question in times of tragedy or horror, how could a loving God let something like this happen? But he says, or he claims as a person who walked through horrible times, that the people who are actually in those moments don't ask that question. That the people who endure horrific things instead ask this question. They ask, where is God in this? For Moltmann, Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate act of solidarity with us. Of identification between God and his creation because of the cross. A moment like the one 
Vizel describes the young boy's execution as not this moment where God has abandoned us, but it's this moment when a grieving and heartbroken and lovesick God says to us, yes, even here I am with you. There is nowhere you can ever go that I will not go with you. It's worth pointing out here that the oldest creed that we have in the church, the Apostles' Creed, says that even in hell, Jesus comes to find us. Good Friday is good because the cross is the place where God refuses to let us ever go somewhere alone again. Which is to say that we're already connected to the vine because the vine has made sure of that. And so, thing number three, if Jesus is the source of our life, if Jesus chases us down even to the absolute depths of our despair, then what can we do? What does the branch do in order to find its flourishing? Molly? Abide. Abide. <laughs> I promise if I ever call on you in the middle of something, just say the thing you said last time, and it'll be the right thing. I won't, you don't have to come up with two answers, just one. It abides, it remains, it accepts every day, every hour, every minute. It accepts the new life purchased on the cross and promised by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The chasm that our sin created between us and God hasn't been bridged. It's been filled. And Jesus has crossed over it in order to find us and to graft us into real and true life. And so the question really is this one, when we look at this story, when we think about Easter, the question isn't what do you have to do in order to find this hope? The question is, are you willing to let yourself feel it? Are you willing to let yourself be loved? To remain in love? To make your joy complete? I promised a silly story you've listened to me talk about vines and branches for 15 minutes now or whatever so silly story time so if you checked out now's a good time check back in the story happened about a month and a half ago and meredith's been asking me for weeks like are you gonna throw this into a sermon at some point and i finally figured today was the day so a few months ago here's the story a few months ago i discovered that i'm youtube famous <laughs> it's true i have been for a while now as it turns out as it turns out, back in 2009, I was finishing my doctorate by day, or was actually finishing my doctorate by night. And then by day, I was being a stay-at-home dad with my oldest daughter, Evangeline. And as part of our routine, she and I would often, about once a week or so, we would go for walks around this zoo that was near our home in Columbia, South Carolina, just to kind of get out of the house for a little bit. And on one of those walks in September of 2009, specifically, we were in the gorilla exhibit at the zoo when we saw and I filmed something totally wild. In this exhibit, the gorilla was like doing this crazy thing. He was doing these like crazy fast spins back and forth in front of the glass. He looked for all the world like a top or like, I guess if Graham was here, I would say he looks like, a nin like the Ninjago guys, like doing spinjitsu. <laughs> That's the thing he looks like. And it was wild. In fact, it was so wild that after I filmed this gorilla, I went home and I went to this new website I had just heard about in 2009 called YouTube, right? And I created an account with my school email address and I posted this video up. 
And I was convinced that I was going to be like an internet star as a result of this amazing video. But for all I knew then, as I checked on it for like months and months after, I was not such a star. Nothing happened. And then the next year, in 2010, I graduated from school. I lost that school email address, right, because I graduated. And then I moved here to Maryland, and I never thought another thing about it. Cut to two months ago when Revolution, not me, Revolution received an email from a production company. And they were looking for somebody named Kenny Comacho with the O. This is weird. Because they wanted to ask about his gorilla video. Because they wanted to license it to use it as a clip in an upcoming Netflix documentary about GameStop stocks. So, anyways. So they found me because before abandoning that YouTube account forever in 2011... I had, like, school extends it for, like, a year after you graduate so that you can wrap up your business. Anyways, before I abandoned the account in 2011, I posted one other video to that channel, which was, like, an inexplicable slideshow from a mission trip that Andy Guzik and I went on to Haiti. Um, and so that had our church connected to it, Revolution Annapolis. And so the people from the production company linked the church to the gorilla, linked it eventually through a Google search to me, and then that led them to email the church looking for me. And I told them, like, sure, I'm interested in letting you use my gorilla video nobody cares about, but I don't know how you even found me. Like, what do you, like, why is this happening? And so they just emailed me back, like, you should give it a look. You should, like, give it a quick Google. That gorilla has almost 10 million views. <laughs> I... I have 12,000 followers on YouTube. <laughs> there are dozens of parodies of the video. There are countless memes of, video, of the video. There's even a YouTube rapper who's fairly well known whose name is Gorilla Despina, which is a reference to my Gorilla video. <laughs> I have all of this stuff happening on a channel I didn't even know existed. So to close out the story, here's the end of it. Whether you think this is foolish of me or not, last week I totally just cashed a check for 300 bucks, and just maybe we can all watch my old gorilla video this summer on Netflix if you want to. <laughs> Here's my point. For the last dozen years, for the last 12 years, this whole funny thing was happening in my life, and I didn't even know about it. I didn't go out on some quest to be YouTube famous. It was just already there happening. All I had to do was like see it and believe it, which wasn't all that easy. When I got the first email, I assumed it was a scam. All the way up until that check was in my hand, I thought this might still be a scam. <coughs> now, I'm not trying to be irreverent here, although I will acknowledge this is probably not the best Easter illustration that you've ever heard. But what I'm trying to say is this. The attention, not of a bunch of strangers on YouTube, but of the God of the universe, is already fixed on you. The fortune, not of $300, but of eternal life and fellowship with your creator, has already been mailed out to you. You don't have to seek it or cross some bridge to get to it, or torture yourself in order to earn it. You just have to believe it.
You just have to accept it. You can, if you want to, remain in it. And if you do, here's the thing, right? Not only will your joy be complete, but that passage says God's joy will be made complete. This week, the goal here really is to talk about reconnection. That's a series that we're starting this week at Revolution for the next couple weeks. And I think it's the right thing to talk about at this moment because I just want to say, like, it's time for reconnection. It really is. It truly is. It's time to see God not as somebody that you're chasing, but as somebody to trust. It's time to see your faith not as this source of certainty, but as this place for growing in confidence. It's time to remember that we can do all of this work together because God's grafted us into each other's lives just as branches are grafted alongside one another into a vine. And we just have to remain. And to remain is simply to be in love. To be in love with God, our gardener. To be in love with Jesus, our Savior and our hope be in love with our brothers and our sisters, our companions in this world, to be in love with our neighbors who are already connected with us, even if they don't yet believe it. So the challenge for today, the closing challenge here before we finish our service is just this. Let your guard down just for a little bit. Set aside any insecurities you might be dealing with. Set aside any fears that maybe you haven't been around enough lately or you aren't yet ready to make a big commitment after two years of a pandemic. Set all that down and just allow yourself for a few moments to remain here in this world in which God has woven you. Because the truth is that you are deeply and wholly loved. And when you believe that, you can then love. I'll pray for us, and then we'll continue our worship.